I told that before the game. I thought the atmosphere was incredible. It reminded me of a you know a playoff or a, a, a conference championship type of atmosphere because it just felt that way. It was electric uh, at the hotel, the drive-in. It was it was special. I mean, to me, you could say it was a lot like an SEC football game, but it wasn't like one last year because none of them were quite like that. Coach, what I'm hearing from you is it just sounds like UCLA was tougher tonight. I'm not saying that. I basically said that we'd. Uh... We tried every way uh, known to man to lose it. Just for fun, let's try something different. Let's go ahead and do our job. Let's go ahead and make it look like Wednesday's practice because we've got nothing to lose. So it was good to go through adversity and same defensively. Like I said, eh, well, not really. That just pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. You've seen his hair? If you're going to wear hair like that, you better be a player. So, yeah, I kind of expected it. Uh, I, don't, I would never ask myself that because I coach the quarterbacks I'm a bunch. I'm, you know, um, they're not very controversial guys. They're both really nice guys. So. Mm -hmm. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we're coming to you as a late night one. Ole Miss just beat Louisville in Atlanta. 43-24 game. Literally just wrapped up. And how can you go anywhere other than uh, the Ole Miss defense? Now, Again, we can't take away too much from uh, what we're seeing in week one because we don't know how good any of these opponents are. But, you know, it's not like uh, this is Akron or Rice or <laughs> uh, Bishamore Sickup. I mean, this is a legitimate ACC team. I know Louisville's not that great, but uh, Ole Miss defense really turned some heads, shut them out in the first half. I know uh, Louisville ended up with 24 points, but uh, – that came, much of it came in junk time. I mean, this this thing was never in doubt. Matt Corral looks as sharp as he ever has. And, uh, hey, let's credit these coaches. You know, without Lane Kiffin there, we wondered if that would be an issue. Clearly not. Interesting move there. He put the uh, special teams coordinator in charge uh, of the team and let uh, uh, DJ Durkin run the defense and left Jeff Lubby to uh, run the offense there. So, and I've not quite seen that done yet, uh, but I guess no need to name an interim. They, they probably had all their game plans ready to go, considering this is a season opener. No need to change up everything, and hey, it worked. Ole Miss came out right out the gate, drove the length of the field, that tempo too much for Louisville to handle. But again, uh, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me, the defense. Chance Campbell, the, the, the transfer from Maryland, he looks like the, the real deal. Uh, this DeAndre Prince, never even heard of that guy. He was making plays all over the field. Big interception. Uh, that, you know, it was early in the game, but it kind of sealed the deal for the Rebels. Matt Corral, 381 yards passing and a touchdown. He did a lot of damage with his legs as well. Uh, 55 yards and a touchdown. Snoop Connor, my God, Snoop. About killed a man there in the second half. Uh, Louisville defender was not ready for uh, Snoop to come bowling down. And, uh, you know, I thought even Jerry on Ely, 12 carries, 37 yards. He did have uh, three catches, 51. You know, they didn't even need him to really get going. He 
you know, a lot slower. I was hoping he would be have kind of a breakout performance here on the national stage. Uh, again, I, I think that time is coming for him, but uh, that was just maybe one thing. I don't want to say disappointing because they didn't really even need him, but that's kind of something I was hoping to see. And Drummond has stepped up. Man, my God, nine catches, 177 yards, and a touchdown. He had one of the most incredible catches of the uh, season there uh, on the on the uh, near the boundary there right before halftime. So Ole Miss rolling, SEC now 12 and two the opening weekend of the season, and again. The main takeaway, I know it's early. We're not trying to get too excited here over uh, just uh, one game of action, but the Rebels, if they got a defense like it looks like they do now, all of a sudden, I mean, that's all you hear about the Rebels. They got a great offense. Matt Corral's great, but maybe that uh, that butt's gone away. I'm not saying they're – uh, they don't got Georgia's defense. They don't even have Alabama's defense, but that's not what they need. They just need a capable unit that can force turnovers. That uh, and and it wasn't just the turnovers. I mean, they were they held Louisville to 155 rushing yards. I mean, that's not great. But uh, again, most of that came in the second half. Six of 15, though they limited them on third down. Um, you know, that was just that was the takeaway of the day for me. There, two turnovers forced, 13 points. Um, two sacks, four tackles for loss. They were just flying all over the field there in the first half. And they looked – they did look uh, – well, I don't want to go too far. I was going to say they did look as good as Georgia in the first half. But I think Louisville, obviously, a long, long way from Clemson. But uh, they made Louisville look terrible in the first half. And it results in the first big win of the season for Ole Miss, probably the first of many. So – uh, yeah, that's my uh, immediate thoughts on it, and uh, but uh, we have got a loaded show, so let's jump to that. So Monday night wrapped up the first week of action here in the SEC. I know the, the scheduling is so weird this uh, opening week, but uh, glad to finally have that in the books. And now we've got uh, previews here for the upcoming week. So before we get uh, around the league, of course, we, you know we wanted to start with the Ole Miss game, but we do have some fun stuff to talk about here. For anybody that missed it, and before we get to that, of course, we got to mention our sponsors, prizepicks.com. Head on over to Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports for uh, all the major sports. And what we're really excited about is the college football aspect of it. I know I went 0 for 2 my first week, <laughs> Prize Picks, so looks like I'm just as bad picking daily fantasy players as I am the game. So fade me, fade Shane, will probably make you some money over there at prizepicks.com using that promo code SEC to get up to a $100 initial deposit match for all new users. So got to check that out. Uh, we still got the HelloFresh going on, hellofresh.com slash SECmike14. Get yourself up to 14 free meals, courtesy of our friends over at HelloFresh. But um, like I said, let's get right into it. And if you, <laughs> we've got uh, a terrific guest lined up. We're going to get to that in just a moment with Jordy Collada. Down there, been catching his show ever since the debacle there at the Rose Bowl. It's been red hot, and uh, some of that he brought over to this interview, so I'm really excited about that. But uh, before we get to that, Trevor Lawrence. We all know the stories. Tennessee fans wishing they got him. He almost, uh, I don't know how close he really was to going to Georgia. Of course, uh, Georgia landed Justin Fields, but uh, before they got into the Fields race, they were red hot after Trevor Lawrence. And now that uh, Georgia whooped Clemson in the opener, 
somebody had to pay up on a bet. <laughs> you look good in red and black, man. I like it. I like it. All right, so how great was that? Trevor Lords decked in uh, Georgia red there. I just thought that was great. I knew our uh, Athens audience would love that. And, you know, this will lead right into our interview here with Jordy Collada. But uh, we had to play this video from UCLA. I really uh, forgot to throw in so much action to, to pack in a Sunday show. Forgot all about the sissy blue shirt comment from Coach O. I'm sure you've seen it by now. But uh, UCLA has been making money hand over fist trolling LSU, trolling Coach O. Check this out, courtesy of UCLA. Bring, hey, hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on, you little sissy blue shirt. All right, so that's something our guest, Jordy Collada, not too thrilled about, and not necessarily that... Uh, the fact that UCLA is uh, profiting off this, that's not his issue. His issue is uh, Coach O and giving people bulletin board material and just uh, the poor public relations look of mixing it up with the fans, entering into the game. Let's kick it over to our interview with Jordy Collada of the Jordy Collada Show. We're pleased to uh, once again be joined by the great Jordy Collada, the go-to source there for LSU news and notes not only on uh, the football team but basketball but uh, year-round he does his show the Jordy Collada show I check it out every morning on YouTube Jordy thanks again for joining the show I really appreciate you hey Mike thanks for having me back on man yeah and I know it's gonna be some negativity here in just a second but uh, I want to start with the positive how was your trip out there to the west coast and uh, man you found what is, in my opinion, is the gym. I used to live out there, Santa Barbara. I mean, if I, when I retire, if I can afford it, that's my spot. So can you tell us how the trip went out there? Oh, it was fantastic, man. I mean, just the opportunity to go out there and, you know, bring my son and our family and go out there and experience just a, a great part of the world, you know, something that's so, um, you don't get an opportunity to really experience every day the Pacific Ocean and the mountains and the climate and the vegetation and the palm trees and uh, getting up to Santa Barbara for a day and a half was was really cool, man. And driving around L.A. and all of the stories and all of the sights and all of the the, the pictures that we were able to, to to capture was really cool. So um, it was a fantastic trip. You know, I mean, the low point obviously was the football game, but. Even with all of that, even in the loss, it'll be a, a trip that we remember forever. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the great thing about these home and homes, you know. I mean, it gives you and your, like you said, you and your family an, an opportunity to go out there and visit. And had this game taken place in Arlington or Atlanta or, or wherever the hell they got these non-conference games, you're really not getting the full experience, are you? No, you're really not, man. It, it really was cool to get in there and, and see some of the traditions that UCLA sticks with and some of the things that they – play around with and um, the recruiting that goes on there. It was real cool just to see uh, another part of the world, the way that college football is celebrated and somebody else's traditions in a beautiful venue. Uh, it was it, it, it was really cool to, to, to get over there and check it out. So, of course, uh, it went downhill from there once the kickoff started. Uh, initial impressions on LSU and uh, how troubling is it that um, for the second year in a row, we've got a completely new staff, yet it Looks like the same old LSU on defense. They just, I mean, they got their uh, their damn ass handed to them by Chip Kelly. 
No, they did, man. They just weren't prepared. You know, I mean, if you if you watch the game, I mean, some of the things that 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 we were uh, um, that we were watching uh, from a standpoint of just you know scheme on scheme, man on man. I mean, it was clear and evident that UCLA was the more prepared and better football team. Um, and you know, from everybody that we spoke to, and you know, just watching the game, I mean, it falls at the feet of the coaches. You know, I mean, for for the the recognition not to be there and and really what they needed to do to have a team that they could put out there and and think could be competitive i mean just obviously it was not done and um you know it just kind of seems like the same story uh the same storylines continue to haunt LSU um here for another season under Ogeron and i don't know about you but when i think of coach o aside from being a, a recruiter and a defensive line coach I think of toughness. I think of uh, you know winning in the line of scrimmage, and that to me is the most troubling thing here. Is, is you go to the West Coast and you get dominated on both lines of scrimmage. I thought by the by a UCLA Bruins team that I don't know if they have a player that LSU would take over one of their own linemen. Uh, what what to you is the most disturbing thing you saw from uh, LSU on the field? Well, I think the you know I mean the 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 lack of preparedness. In, in in both sides of the ball. I mean, remember you're breaking in two offensive, uh, you know, two new coordinators, an offensive and a defensive coordinator, and, and both of those guys showed uh, just how green they were, uh, both in the preparation and the play calling. Um, you know, I mean, LSU could not stop a crossing route to save their life versus Mississippi State last season, and again in the opening game they fall victim to the same uh, to the same stuff. So you know, I mean, I, I just think the lack uh, of uh, of fixing problems. I mean, the run game and the offensive line were were, were absolutely pathetic. Uh, and in you know, for them not to realize that in, in camp and, and take in uh, a game plan uh, that 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 would be just competitive uh, is, is very much head scratching. I think Ogeron had some comments after the game on Saturday that were that that were concerning. I mean, if you're you're listening to to the things that he's saying throughout fall camp, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about at the beginning of fall camp and which he wanted to accomplish were things that he was talking about last night that he wished that they would have addressed in fall camp. Well, I mean, you made it seem like you were talk, you know, trying to develop the run game and, 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 and paying attention to creating diversity in that, in that, that attack. And then, you know, he seemed like he was the, the, the most surprised by the lack of efficiency uh, on Saturday night. So, I just think that there's some some overly concerning things when you look at the program beyond uh, the inability to really play competitive uh, football like they did last weekend uh, versus UCLA. I mean, it's it's easy to look at the game and say what was going on, but if you look a little bit deeper, it seems like there's an overall program, you know, a, a, a problem within the program uh, that, that that's tough to ignore. Yeah, and I think it's compounded by the fact, uh, of course, we've all seen the clip, uh, sissy blue shirt. I mean, UCLA is just having the time of their life with that comment at this point. Given the fact that uh, this is going on two years now where the football team is is losing to teams they shouldn't lose, uh, how much does this hurt Coach O standing in, in Baton Rouge with the people that really matter? Uh, well, I, I think they've been paying attention to it for, for some time now, and uh, this last weekend, was a, a another um, just uh, catastrophic um, representation of public relations from Ed Ogeron 
in in leading the program. I mean, on um, look, and and nobody is out there it, it, telling Ed Ogeron how to live his life um, personally, mm-hmm. but but there's a built-in expectation of public relations when you accept the LSU head job or any public job that 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 carries the type of notoriety and and promotion that you're going to receive in that seat that there there is a PR standard that that has to be upheld 365 days a year and and some of the personal things that you're going to have to sacrifice for that are just going to have to happen for 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 you to exist and you know I mean over the last year there there's been a ton of pictures come out uh, and I say a ton. There's there, there's been you know a series of pictures that that have come out uh, with him and 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 coeds. Uh, you know some have have come out from uh, the bedroom. Some have come out from poolside. Some have come from walking down the beach. Some have come out from uh, you know walking down the street. And he had another one pop up on Friday in downtown Los Angeles, 24 hours before his team's supposed to play and look it, it could have been a, a two-minute stroll it could have been a 30 second um you know just you know crossing pass with a, his his partner that was there with him in los angeles to watch the game with him I, nobody knows the story but what the the story that social media tells is that he, he's out there chasing skirt the week of the game and then 24 hours later his team gets their teeth kicked in you know, and they're not prepared and ready to go. And then throw on top of that while he's walking into the game, you know, I mean, cameras catch him going back and forth with a fan in which he, you know, says to meet him on the field and he'll kick his ass. It's just like, come on, man. Have a little bit of awareness and understanding of the position you're in and, and what goes along with that. And credit UCLA because, I mean, they have taken – the, the, the sissy blue comment and have turned it into a moneymaker. I mean, they're making t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Their social media right now is the header. Uh, they, they have made uh, hype videos around. I mean, they, they have turned him in and LSU into a meme that they have turned them, you know, into a, the, the butt of a joke. I mean, it is, um, it, it's, it's, it's comical on, on, on what the reaction has been, and how UCLA has taken, uh, you know, another PR misstep by, by Ed Ogeron and turned it in to something that will live on forever. I mean, I, I would imagine that UCLA would probably use the term of sissy blue shirts for at least the next 20 years with the way that they're running with it right now. All right, last thing for you, Jody. Uh, you know, of course, uh, LSU's got a couple cupcakes lined up here, but uh, then SEC play gets started here with a, a trip to Mississippi State. How big will that game be for Coach O? And, uh, you know, I, I know every situation is unique, so I, you can't make it an apples and apples comparison. But if he loses that game, could we see a, a, a repeat of what happened to Les Miles where they, they cut him in the middle of the season? Uh, I don't necessarily know if, if they can do that because I'm not sure on staff if they have somebody qualified enough to take over. Um, but, you know, I, I can tell you that they're, you know, every game is going to be. Uh, a pressure cooker for for Ed Ogeron because, like I said, I mean his team is struggling on the field, and then you you compound that with with some of the off the field stuff, and then LSU is still 
under investigation for some of the Title IX stuff that, that Ed Ogeron's name has been involved with, um, you know, to, to, to the degree um, it, it has not been that harsh, but it, it cracks the door for administrators to, to find a way to move him uh, without having to pay a buyout. And if that's possible, uh, and he continues to uh, not understand the weight and the scope of the public relations that goes along with the job, then you know it's it's going to be um, it, it could be a really quick hook, in my opinion, um, for for uh, finding a replacement on Ed Ogeron. I really do. I think that you know the seat and the temperature has turned up to a very hot status after this past weekend at UCLA. And it wasn't all just because of the outcome of the game. Yeah, and that's something you hit on on your show, the Jordy Collada show again. If, you, if you're not checking out, then you got to check it out. The powers that be have kind of addressed this with uh, Coach O and his, his agent and whatnot about uh, being more publicly aware. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's very troubling when I, when I hear comments like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say the same thing. I mean, uh, if, you know, people are approaching – uh, you and asking you to change the way that you are are doing things within your job uh, to, to to make sure that you can sustain and hang on you you would probably react you know what I mean with a way that um, you know it, it would serve you better to to stay there in the long term and that just hasn't been the case I mean there's been conversations there's been um, there's been discussions with uh, both Ogeron and his representatives on how to handle the public relations of the job and you know, continuously it's disrespected. And I think, you know, all you got to do is look over the past 72 hours to see that from LSU standpoint. All right. He's Jordy Collada. Really appreciate him giving us the time on this such a busy day. And uh, thanks again, man. You are truly the, the go-to source there for LSU sports. Uh, so I appreciate you hopping on the line. Thank you, man. All right. So I really appreciate Jordy hopping on the line. I mean, they're literally, there's no one better in Baton Rouge covering LSU. He's got his own show. Uh, it, it does the radio, does the YouTube, just like this show, except uh, his is uh, uh, the production value is significantly higher. So head on over to uh, the Jordy Collada show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you can find his show. But uh, if you're an LSU fan, I don't know what you're doing if you're not watching that already. And if you hate LSU, trust me, these last couple episodes, you'll love them probably even more than the LSU fans because Jordy is uh, going all in on Cocho and the disaster that uh, this opener has been. So really appreciate uh, him carving out that time to hop on the show. But uh, hey, we've got a couple things to get to here, so let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around the league. Um, what, what, what is 12 personnel? You know, I, I, I got to get up two tight ends and two wide receivers or one? I'm just kidding. I don't know what 12 personnel is. So. I worry about playing Alabama. I can't figure out whether or not the Big Ten and Back 12 are going to yo-yo around and play football with us or not. I mean, they're playing great. Love it. Love the game. Awesome game. It's unbelievable for our country. Uh, it's, it's great for our universities. It's great for our towns when we play. It's great for our young men. Uh, you know, it, I think it's personally think it's the greatest game in the world. So if they elect to play, great. They don't, yeah, you know, that's 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 on them. I, I got enough crap to worry about with preparing for Alabama and figuring stuff out at Mizzou. So the team is in great spirits. I know there was a lot of doom and gloom 
I saw and heard a lot about how uh, the, the hopes of our season hinged on the results of an MRI. And frankly, or frankly, that's bull crap. Uh, we've got a hell of a football team. And whether one guy's in or out, we got 117 other guys that are ready to step up no matter who's out. We got Kevin. All right, I'm not a big opening statement guy, and plus you guys are going to ask whatever you want to know anyway. So let's just go ahead and get started. Is there any questions? Young man from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Uh, great young man. All right, big game here in Fayetteville. Obviously, SEC Nation's already announced they're headed to Fayetteville. Woo pig! For the Texas game. First matchup in Fayetteville between these two since 2004. Long time. Texas leads the all-time series 56-22. to But Arkansas has won four of the last six, including the 2014 Texas Bowl, which Sam Pittman was a member of that staff. That was the borderline erotic game, of course. How can we all... No one can forget that one, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, really terrific uh, matchup here in the SEC, a prove-it game for Arkansas. Uh, obviously, fans of this show know I'm one of the biggest Arkansas homers that are out there, but, you know, the time for talk is done. Did not look very impressive against Rice, particularly in that first half. Made enough plays in the second half to cover and, and win comfortably there in the opener, which should have happened all along, but... Now the the, tuss, the task gets much tougher. Texas just dominated Louisiana. Billy Napier, you know, he was the red-hot coaching candidate not that long ago. I, I think he still is, but, uh, you know, I think some luster off of that program with uh, Texas just whipping them. I think it was like 38-10, to 10, something like that. So it wasn't even much of a matchup here. Sam Pittman and company, they, if they play like they did in the second half against Rice, they can beat Texas. If they play – like they did it in the first half against Rice, they may get stomped here by Texas. Uh, I'm just being honest with you here. We've got Steve Sarkeesian dialing up some stuff. We'll get we'll kick it over to Sam Pittman here in a moment. And we even got comments from Steve Sarkeesian himself. So, but just so much on the line. I don't know what can be said about this game that's not already been already out there. But uh, it is interesting the fact that uh, Arkansas has. Seen Steve Sarkeesian's offense the last couple of years there at Alabama. He clearly doesn't have the talent at, uh, there in Austin right now that he had in Tuscaloosa to work with, although they do have a hell of a running back in uh, Bijan Robinson, I believe is his name. He, Whenever his time to come for the NFL, he'll probably be the top running back taken. They're saying he's that good. He basically is the offense. They started a, a first first-time starter last week. I believe the guy's name is Hudson Card. So, you know, this is an opportunity for Arkansas fans. They've already announced this thing's a sellout. The crowd's going to be insane. This is a really good opportunity for Arkansas, who's an underdog in this game, a six-point underdog against Texas, can really rattle this young quarterback. So that's something uh, that we'll have to, you know, pay close attention to Saturday night ESPN, nationally televised when it's Arkansas and Texas. I know Kentucky, Missouri, uh, you know, there's more on the line in terms of uh, SEC standings. But this game right here, Arkansas-Texas, this is the one I've got circled on my calendar for week two. So let's kick it over to uh, Sam Pittman. Talks about uh, Steve Sarkeesian's play calling. 
um, on KJ Jefferson. I thought these were some outstanding comments here. With you know, it's funny these coaches uh, that say you know they don't hear the criticisms, they don't hear what people are saying, and then you got a uh, coach that uh, you know is very transparent here in Sam Pittman. He acknowledges, you know, we hear what you're saying. We we've heard all the complaints about KJ Jefferson in the in the opener against Rice. I know uh, he didn't look too great, but he hell he had three touchdowns and what was the margin of victory? Three touchdowns. So uh, certainly seems like KJ Jefferson, even when he's having an off game, still getting it done for the Razorbacks. Sam Pittman still got his quarterbacks back. And uh, lastly, they talk about uh, you know really studying that Alabama offense from last season. Said they'd be fools not to. So this summer you were very complimentary of Steve Sarkeesian's play calling in the playoffs, understandably. What did you see from game one in terms of usage of personnel and what they're doing uh, in that regard, his, his play calling and the scheming they're doing? You no, know, he got Louisiana on an unbalanced uh, 12 set, flipped them back over to the field. Um, they didn't make an adjustment on, on defense and – and then uh, five Robinson, he, you know, he was wide open. They tossed the ball for, to him and, and he made, you know, easy catch for a touchdown. So he's still doing those type of things. Very, very, very strong schematic guy uh, uses his talent and he has talent. He's got a lot of talent, skill, skill position. And I think his running back is really, really special. He also returns punts, had one call back. Saturday also returns kickoffs, but he has he has more than just Robinson, but Robinson's special. Um, with Malik, I, I know you guys wanted to get him in the game, just the way the game flowed and everything just made it difficult to do that, I guess. Yeah, I think I think uh, when the game, your intentions are always your intentions before the game starts. And then when the game starts like it did for us, especially offensively, um, you're trying to fix your starter and you're trying to fix your starters, you know. Uh, I want to say this, you know, I, I think KJ probably took a lot of a lot of heat this week. And and uh, you know, everybody got their opinion, but you know, the one that really matters is mine. And uh he's our quarterback and he's and he's gonna be a heck of a quarterback for us. And uh uh, you can't erase what's happened. You know, you can't erase that we didn't have a good first half. But you also probably need to talk about that the kid played well in the second half too, you know, and, and uh, he corrected it. And uh, so Malik, I, I wouldn't have one bit of problem playing Malik to answer your question. Uh, I think he would give us something different a little bit because of his speed, but he also can throw the ball. We just got caught up in a bad first half, and we were just trying to fix it the entire first half, and obviously uh, after halftime. Sam, obviously different players, completely different team, but do you put anything into last year's Alabama game and how Sarkeesian played against you guys, your guys' defense? Yeah, we certainly have looked at it. You know, we'd be a fool if we didn't, but we certainly have looked at it. Uh, at that point, um, he may have been – uh, a little conservative than what they normally would be. It was the last game of the year. They're trying not to get anybody hurt. They're going into the SEC championship game, all those things. So I think he may have played us a little bit conservative over, over what we saw on film from uh, previous games of his. I think the guy, the man, is as good an offensive coordinator as there is in the country. I've thought that for a long, long time. And, again, I've never met him. 
but I said it before, I think the national championship game he called, and, and then you go back and look at the way he called the game on Saturday. He's a phenomenal uh, offensive mind, and and we, but we we have used that Alabama and Alabama from last year. We went back and watched certainly all the games from last year as well. So I've already said, you know, I think this is the game on the calendar for Arkansas. The, the schedule is incredible this year. We all know that, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I, I love the fact when that gets thrown around, it's like, well, we just completely dismissive of Arkansas, which is asinine in my opinion. But uh, the rest of the way does not get much easier. And this is a winnable game against a team that may out-talent out you on paper, but it's in a hostile environment. They're still getting acclimated to their new coach, the new systems on both sides of the ball. Uh, this is a real opportunity. Uh, if Arkansas is going to have the type of season that I think they're going to have, win seven, possibly eight games, that's not going to happen if they don't win on Saturday night and get this momentum rolling. So a lot on the line for the Razorbacks. Cannot wait for this matchup. And uh, while we're at it here, let's kick it all down to Austin, where uh, Steve Sarkeesian also met with the media here on Monday, coming off Texas's season-opening win there against Billy Napier's Louisiana program, as noted. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian was asked about matching wits with Barry Odom and that defense. Uh, he's got some high praise for Jalen Catalong and uh, the Arkansas linebacking core. And uh, he was asked about the Arkansas rivalry, too. So I thought uh, Razorback fans would appreciate this one. Can you talk about Arkansas's defense, that three-high safety look? Obviously, yeah. you faced it last year, yeah. but what stands out about it? Well, I mean, they, they do a really good job of the strength of their defense is right down the middle. Uh, they've got two really good linebackers uh, in Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan. Uh, smart, heady players, very physical, tough. Uh, and then the guy who I think makes it all go is, is Catalan in the middle. Uh, he's back there kind of playing center field. Um, a very aggressive player, excellent tackler, really good instincts. Um, you know, and it allows the way those three guys play, it allows the other guys to, you know, really penetrate up front with their defensive line, um, mix their coverages in the back end. Um, but in the end of the day, those three guys really make it go, uh, and they're very good football players. Yeah, Steve, I was curious about your knowledge of the rivalry. I don't know if you've ever seen a tape of the big shootout game. And do you kind of approach rivalry games different when you were at Washington, USC, and like a special animal, and how do you prepare for it? Um, uh, probably twofold. One, I am very aware of the rivalry. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I say this a lot. I love the pomp and pageantry and the, and the history and the tradition of college football. I think that's what makes our game so unique and so special. Um, so I, I appreciate it and I, and I like that aspect of it. And I'm the first guy, if we have some downtime, that turns on these kind of rivalry games. I like to watch them and the pregame and, and, and all that kind of stuff. For us, from a preparation standpoint, we really don't. Um, we, we believe in our routine. Um, I think we're, we're definitely a routine-based operation, um, regardless of the opponent. Um, and that, that hopefully puts us in a space where we're not picking and choosing when we have to get up for a game. We should go into the game with a very similar mentality week in and week out, very focused um, on the task at hand, uh, very detail-oriented, and, and one that plays our brand, our style of football. So I appreciate the rivalry and I love that it all entails. Um, but on the flip side of that, from our preparation standpoint, 
uh, we just go right in, you know, and everybody's, quite frankly, every opponent's a faceless opponent. You know, we just we look at the tape for the schemes and the players and the knowledge, uh, but at that point, our preparation, it's about us. All right, so interesting comments there from Sarkeesian. It's uh, not that he's, you know, taking this game lightly, but uh, certainly doesn't seem like, you know, it's business as usual for the Longhorns. I don't think it's going to be that way for the Razorbacks. I don't see how it could be after getting peppered with questions all offseason about this matchup. So we'll see which strategy pays off. I mean, the one where it's, you know, just ho-hum, it's another game, or basically – your Super Bowl. I think this is Arkansas Super Bowl, and it is for a lot of fans. So cannot wait. And uh, I think just, just hearing that, I think it's got to favor Arkansas. I mean, they've already came out and kind of been tight in the opener. As long as uh, we can avoid that, correct the issues, and they hell, they did it in the second half. They come out like they did in the second half. Uh, I like the Razorbacks here. Staying in the state of Texas, let's jump it on damn to College Station. Giga Maggies. Where Jimbo and the Aggies, they've got an interesting matchup here too. Uh, I think the uh, line for the Colorado game, which is in Denver, is at 16, and that surprised me initially. Uh, but uh, Colorado, I think, you know, not that they're going to be able to match Texas A&M for all their power, but uh, pretty solid team. I mean, they went 4-2 and two last year. Shortened season, I know, but started out 4-0. Their coach, I believe, was named Pac-12 Coach of the Year. They just won last week. Yeah, it was against Northern Colorado, but hell, that, almost everybody played a, plays a cupcake week one. So, you know, I'm not downgrading them for that, but they took care of business 35-7 to against Northern Colorado. So this is probably a Colorado team that's coming in with a ton of confidence. Now, certainly that's not going to help once the Aggies hit the field and, and punch them in the mouth here, but uh, uh, this is maybe a little bit of a trap game here for the Aggies. Where you, you're playing, this is your first time Haynes King starting on the road, and it is the road. I know it's technically a neutral field. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Aggies. I hope there are a lot of Aggies that travel to this game. Denver's one of my favorite cities. Definitely, if you're planning to make a trip, uh, reach out. Maybe I can give you some recommendations there, but uh, Cousin Jonathan and I, we've been there twice now. And one recommendation right out the box, don't stay near the airport. <laughs> we found out the Airbnb, they do not let you know if you're staying in a gang neighborhood till you get there. So, uh, true story. But uh, <laughs> good news for the Aggies, Michael Clemens is going to be back for them in this matchup. Uh, maybe that'll shore up some of the uh, defensive struggles they had against Kent State. Kent State really... Uh, you know, hit them with some big plays here uh, in the opener. Of course, they didn't do much of anything in the second half. But but this will be an interesting one here. Young quarterback, offensive line still a little bit in transition. Haynes King had the uh, three turnovers in the first game. Jimbo did not sound concerned at all. And now that he's uh, studied the film, he seems even more confident in what King can bring to the team. Uh, but again, maybe you get your quarterback rattled in a game like this. Let's not uh, forget the altitude, which uh, some people make a big deal about. Jimbo Fisher, not at all. But I can tell you from experience, it's pretty weird. It, it's Until you get up there, you cannot replicate it. And the, the best way I can uh, kind of explain what it feels like is just, you know, even after short walks, you feel like you're out of shape. You're out of breath. I thought, uh, God, my ass is getting fatter than I thought. Last couple of times uh, I went up to Denver, but then it hits you that you're in that altitude. So that's what it does. I mean, it takes 
the breath right out of you just walking up the stairs. So what's that going to do playing a football game? Uh, it's going to be intense. So, uh, And I think uh, the last time we kind of mocked this off, it was Missouri went on up there to, was it Wyoming? And I believe it was the season opener. And what happened? Uh, it was Wyoming kicked the shit out of Missouri. And this was, if I'm not mistaken, this, uh, this altitude is uh, no joke. Trust me. So I think it's a little bit bigger deal than what Jimbo's making it out to be. But again, you're going to have uh, the advantage of damn near every position. So I'm not saying it's going to cost the Yankees a game, but a little bit of a trap game here. So got to get King, eliminate those turnovers, get adjusted to this uh, altitude. And uh, I, th- I think those are the two, the only two things I could trip up the Yankees. And the fact that they're going on the road makes this game a little bit interesting in my mind. So let's kick it over to Jimbo, who talks about uh, King and the eval after studying the uh, Kent State tape. And uh, here's another great stat. You know, we talked about uh, Achain and Spiller and Smith and all the plays they made in the opener. Here's one I was not aware of till today. 25 plays of at least 10 yards or more for the Aggies in the week one opener win over Kent State. That's more than anybody in the nation. That's that's incredible. 25 plays of 10 or more yards. I mean, my God. So uh, how does how do they keep that rolling here? And uh, on facing this Colorado team in this altitude, that's something also Jimbo hit on. What did you see from, from uh, Haynes in terms of his composure? and just overall, Not one bit. The moment was on. not too big at all was totally in the game. If something went wrong, he can walk off and tell you what went wrong, why it went wrong. We're communicating excellent all night, seeing things. And if we say, you know, with this side here, I thought that coverage, maybe she, yeah, coach, I see what you're saying now. I could have come back here. was excellent in communication. And I, and I thought, I thought, you know, you always wondered, it was a moment too big, and it wasn't. And and really got to test him under duress. Had a couple, you know, you get turnovers. Does that put him in a shell? Nope. Went right back, saw him things, being just as aggressive, doing the things he had to do, and was proud in that regard. Coach, you guys had 25 plays of at least 10 yards on Saturday. That was the most in the country. And Jalen said he thinks you guys can be even more explosive. So with all these weapons, I mean, how, how explosive can this offense well, be? Well, I mean, if, if we stay disciplined, and that's what we got to work on. I mean, all those good things, but then and then you have the self-inflicted wounds and little things of, of why an interception was made, guys not spacing, guys getting hands on balls that shouldn't be there, uh, trying to make re- – I mean, little things. And, and, again, those come from, I want to get the ball, I want to get open. Well, how do you how is that in correlation to the next route coming behind you? You know what I mean? How does that fit? How does the spacing fit? There's a lot of little things with our veteran guys that have to get that have to get cleaned up. And sometimes as a veteran, you want to go out there and it's comes from you want to make that play so bad, or you want to get in there and you start ad libbing. It, it's you can do it, but you got to stay within the framework of things. But we can. I mean, you know, we dropped a touchdown. We had a big touchdown drop in there, and and, and still played really well. I mean, there's a lot of potential for guys that can run with the football, catch it. Quarterback can throw it. He can run it. Our tight ends can block and catch. I mean, it is in our offensive line, and we have a lot of potential. But, again, potential means you haven't done it. Consist- and what I'm looking for is the consistency and the physicality that we do it with so we can keep perceiving. And the other thing in that game, we actually messed up a short yardage. And that was All it came from was a missed block. We, we didn't, again, come down all the way on a guy where we could have hit that seam. And something that little, you know, you have a six, seven-play drive. Because in the first half, the thing about us was we, went, we didn't have the field position. We were always backed up. And so we were on long drives. So we'd have six, eight, nine plays, and all of a sudden, boom, we didn't score. We'd score the first two drives, and we didn't score the next three. And it's frustrating by still moving the ball. That's why you got to finish drives and you got to focus. And our attention to detail has got to be a lot better. But there is a lot of potential there. There's no doubt. Jimbo, you're, you're going to Denver and playing an altitude, which is something this team you know, isn't mm-hmm. really used to. It, what are you doing to prepare for, for that altitude? And you know, is there anything well, that you're test stressing? guys and no. I've done it before. I've done it multiple times and never had an issue. 
You line up and play. Been to Colorado, which is uh, 200 feet higher. Been to Pro Bowl, which is 800 feet lower with Florida kids, uh, kids all over the south, and, you know, it's always been fine. And you're adjusting. People do have things. We'll have oxygen on the sideline. Guys need to get a little air, but it's always been. I mean, Dave's played up in Des Moines. How are you in L.A.? I mean, it's not – I mean, some guys – I mean, you could be – you have a condition or something that can really affect you, but most of the time that's not a big factor. All right, next let's uh, kick it all down to Rocky Top. Good Rocky Top. Again, man, the theme here, big games here for some of these coaches. Sam Pittman there at Arkansas – facing Texas. Now Josh Heupel getting pit at home uh, after, you know, an up and down performance there on Thursday after going back and rewatching that Tennessee game. You know, I'm not as worried as I was at the time. It's very easy to sit here and say, but a penalty here or there really killed the drive. Uh, an overthrow there, a drop pass here. Uh, just, that just really halted any opportunity Tennessee had to carry that uh, momentum they had in the first quarter against Bowling Green into the second. And it really is that simple because they only touched the ball, I think, five, six plays in the second quarter. And when two of them are penalties, that's 20 yards of penalty. I'm talking on on one possession and a a big drop that would have got you a first down, another overthrow that would have been an easy touchdown. I mean, these are plays that are out there to be made. And that's it's not as simple as flipping a switch. I understand that, but if you know these minor corrections can be made, uh, again, these fireworks would have been everything we were anticipating from this uh, Josh Heupel offense in the opener against Bowling Green. So a lot to work on here going up against a Pitt team led by Pat Narduzzi, known for his defense. And uh, I was unaware that uh, Josh Heupel had faced Narduzzi previously, but apparently he has. So uh, that's something. Uh, to consider the chess match there between the two head coaches that uh, respectively call plays on their side of the ball going head-to-head. That's going to be one of the biggest matchups in the SEC this week, determining the outcome of this game with Pitt being a slight favorite on the road in Neyland Stadium. You got to think that uh, Rocky Top, this is going to be, you know, the crowd. I thought it was pretty solid for Bowling Green considering it was a Thursday night opener, but you got to anticipate it's going to be a lot more fans on Saturday with uh, with all that's on the line for Josh Heupel and company uh, this week, week two. So, uh, and it hey, good news, it sounds like Cade Mays is going to be all right, the center. Uh, that really seemed to halt Tennessee's momentum as well in the opener. Jimmy Callaway will play, according to Josh Heupel. So there's your receiver. You're getting a little added firepower there. Uh, but let's kick it over to Josh Heupel, who talks about uh, you know the lack of execution there in the second half uh, of the opener and, and what they're working on to get that corrected and on facing a Pat Narduzzi defense. Two things. Uh, do you have an update on Cooper Mays' availability? And then also, uh, when you looked at the tape, how did you evaluate Ollie, their guard, and then Jerome sliding over to center? Yeah, uh, Coop is in the building today, moving around. Um, you know, as the week unfolds, we'll continue to, to get a better feel if he'll be at 100% for, for kickoff. I thought Jerome sliding off, uh, sliding over, uh, obviously the holding calls, but other than that, executed uh, and performed at a really high level inside. Uh, did a great job of communication, getting everybody on the same page. Fox News, uh, you talked about uh, things that are correctable in the passing game from every position. How common is that when you're putting in a new system, new, a few new wideouts, a new quarterback? 
how common in your experience is that you need Yeah, you don't want it to be that way. You, you want to go out and execute. Uh, the, the second half of that ball game is probably as poorly as we've executed since we started training camp. Somebody asked that question uh, after the ball game, didn't want to answer that before. Um, for whatever reason, uh, we can get back and, and execute the way we did early in the football game. Yeah, Coach, you've played against Pat Narduzzi's defenses before. Um, but what is the challenge going against them? And then specifically for your receivers, how physical do they have to be this week, considering what they typically typically does in the secondary? Yeah, uh, you're going to see a bunch of man, man press, um, you know, base out of the quarters, but they'll play multiple coverage uh, coverages out of it. Um, you know, the, the, they're a well-coached team in all three phases of the game. They're going to be uh, tough and physical. Uh, that's out on the perimeter. That that's inside the core too. And so you got to be tough. You got to be strained. Have strain. You got to play um, with a physical presence. Uh, that's going to be important for us out on the perimeter. It'll be true for for the guys in the core too. How would you rate your wide receivers' physicality through camp and, and through the first game? Yeah, those guys are tough, physical. We put them in those situations um, every single day. Um, I anticipate them to play with a, a great competitive edge on Saturday afternoon. All right, last thing here. Let's kick it all down to Gainesville. Where... <laughs> My word, I thought I was making a big deal out of uh, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson and the the battle there for the uh, starting quarterback spot in Gainesville. That apparently is not a battle at all. It's just it's Emory Jones, but the, the fans and people of the media like me are dying to see more of Anthony Richardson after getting uh, a little taste of him there in the opener against FAU. But uh, Dan Mullen continues. I, I've seen Cole Kublik ask him about it, and, and Mullen laughed it off. Uh, in these pressers, he's getting asked about every third question. He's getting asked about the quarterbacks and rotating them. And, you know, who's who? <laughs> it's just odd and odd and odd. So, um, hey, I guess it's a good problem to have. You'd rather have multiple quarterbacks you trust than none at all. Uh, and certainly, Dan Muller, we know his history. He can He's done that with uh, Felipe Franks and Trask. He's done it with uh, Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. So, uh, and, he, hell, he's done it with uh, Dak Prescott and uh, Tyler Russell. Uh, I, even with uh, at Mississippi State there with Nick Fitzgerald, early in his career they were, they were shoveling quarterbacks kind of in and out trying to get that. If uh, Damian Williams, I think, was the guy's name uh, who lost the South Alabama game. But, uh, yeah, so Dan Bullitt certainly has got experience working these guys in and out of the lineup here and, and knowing which how to – you know the but the right buttons to hit, so to speak, for his for his quarterback rotation. But uh, that is just something that uh, he could not escape during uh, his Monday presser. He was asked about uh, you know now that uh, that he's he's sticking with Emory because he knows the playbook. Now they want to know well how long is it going to take Anthony Richardson to master his playbook? <laughs> just say what you're trying to say. You know how long before he can take the job over? That's I think what they're really asking uh, and. and Mullen made an interesting comparison here. A little bit uh, compares Anthony Richardson, in a sense, to Tim Tebow. I thought that was pretty interesting. On the quarterback grades, how they graded out uh, in the opener, Amory and, and Richardson. And uh, I really like this comment here from Dan Mullen on uh, these in-state Florida matchups. What's the typical timetable and what's the kind of threshold for a guy – in, in your experience to kind of get to that point where you trust them? Well, I, I don't feel it's, I mean, I, I, I mean, 
I should say, Anthony knows the offense. It's just getting the reps and the experience of the decision-making and making all of the reads and the checks within the offense. Um, you know, you go watch the film, and, and he made spectacular plays but missed some very, very simple checks um, within the game plan. So, uh, you know, it's just that comfort and then that comfort of being able to execute it within a game. So, um, obviously, I mean, you could you can make that time work however you need to make it work sometimes, but it's the best when you get to let guys learn it the right way and build a really solid foundation. I mean, you understand the enthusiasm for Anthony after the other night, right? There's always enthusiasm for everybody, you know? Um, you know, when they come in and, and I mean, he made, he made some great plays. So, I, you know, I mean, I, Hey, I, I was here in 06 and there was enthusiasm, huge enthusiasm for Tim Tebow. And he played about, you know, six, seven plays a game. Uh, and of those six, seven plays are a lot of enthusiasm. So yeah, I mean, I've seen it before and understand it. We're back thing real fast. Um, how, how did they grade out compared to each other? And Anthony? Um, I, I, I don't have all the specifics. They were, they were both okay. I mean, I, I kind of look at, I go down to the, when we have the meeting with them for me to go through some of the reads. Uh, think, you know, if you go, like how we do our grades, Anthony probably graded a little higher because he had explosive plays, so you get extra points for having the big explosive plays. Uh, but, you know, if I went pure without giving the bonus points in, probably very similar. Um, and, and then on, on USF, you talked about a little bit last week with, with Florida Atlantic. You like playing new state games. Can you elaborate on that? Why are these important to, from, from your perspective? Well, I think, I think for one, it's a pretty neat game for people in the state of Florida. You know, again, this might not have national implications right now, you know, where I, I, I don't know that, you know, I mean, besides the Gator Club of Seattle, everybody in Seattle's like, can't wait to see. I'm sure there's, Maybe there's some, some, there's like, you know, high school players that are excited to watch the Gators play all over the country. But, you know, the general fan in Seattle's probably not all like, can't wait for this game to happen. Um, but I think here in the state of Florida, this game's a big game, you know, I mean, for a lot of the, you know, the fans and, uh, you know, I mean, you're going down to the Tampa area and for their fans to, to be able to come see that for, for players who's, you know, I mean, both teams, major, you know, I mean, their highest percentage of players are going to be from the state of Florida. Their families get to come see this game and guys know each other from growing up and, and uh, you know, and seeing these the, the two teams play. So I, I think that's what always makes it fun on these kind of some, you know, when you can create, you know, little in-state rivalry games like this, I think it's uh, it's good for the state. All right, so Dan Mullen, of course, has been a guy that, uh, you know, he's been very high on, you know, rotating the SEC schedule. We need to play more SEC schools. But I also like the fact that, uh, you know, he knows, being a big college football guy, he knows what games like this mean to a program like South Florida with uh, the Florida Gators coming into town. And South Florida looked terrible in the opener. They're probably going to get destroyed by the Gators. But it's still, this is going to be a – you know, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a lot of these fans down here. And, you know, there's going to be tons and tons of Gators that uh, live in that, I think it's Tampa is where South Florida is located. But there's going to be a ton of Florida fans. You know, maybe they wish they could go to Gainesville more often, but they live in Tampa. They can't make that drive. So uh, games like this are just great for the state. And I know uh, sometimes we like to tease Florida, never leaving the state to play these non-conference games. But as long as you got quality opponents here in the state and you've got a fan base that ranges from uh, the southernmost tip to the northern or the panhandle region of that state uh, it makes sense to be playing all across 
the state, the Sunshine State for here for the Gators. So uh, I just really like these these comments here, and uh, you know that's kind of what makes college football so unique is just the fact that you can get games like this. You know, you would never see, I don't know, the Tampa Bay Bucks play in you know some arena league team or something like that. But here in college, you you kind of can get that from time to time. So uh, it's it's just interesting, and uh, I love the fact that uh, Dan Mullen kind of that he pays respect to things like that. All right, guys, so uh, that's all I got on this episode. We've got uh, a bunch of guests lined up for this week. Really going to do some deep dives here on uh, big matchups here. Kentucky and Missouri, I've already lined up guests for those. I think I'm going to reach out to guests for Arkansas and Texas because I want to preview those games as well, go a little bit deeper dive. So many big-time matchups here uh, this weekend in the SEC. Uh, But uh, as always, if you made it this far, don't forget, leave us that five-star written review on the apple podcast app that really helps the show grow and for each and every one of you that does that we send you a beer koozie free of charge so i uh, send those on over to that sec podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter that's uh, another great way to get our attention here but uh, send us over your reviews and we're happy to send you out a beer koozie we got all 14 sec teams represented so uh, you just let us know what team you support and we'll send you that beer koozie your way But that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one.